0: We're pumped to have with us Kay. Hi, today. Um, we're going to dig into a ton of stuff, writing, newsletters, Twitter, all that good stuff, but I'll start with a quick story of actually how I met Kay, which was I was, so this was two years ago, a little over two years ago, uh, January 2020, so I was 24 years old, and I was uh, kind of exploring online and reading and had been, you know, silently lurking on Twitter and newsletters for a long time, and I came across, across Kay's blog And he had this one post that talked about how he started his newsletter. And I remember reading it and thinking, wow, this is awesome. As I dug into his story a little bit, I saw he worked at BlackRock, which at the time was where I currently worked. And just a few days after that, he was putting in or putting together a meetup in New York City right up the street from my office. So I said, "Okay, I got to go to this. And I very vividly remember walking out of the office kind of surrounded by some sad faces. It was 730 p.m. People like buckling down for a late night and was like, okay, I'm out of here today. And I went over to the meetup and here I see Kay just happy as hell, smiling, talking about (laughs) all this fun stuff he was doing and the fact that he had worked at BlackRock for 13 years. And I still very vividly remember that moment and thinking, dang, this is, that's a path I want to take. And so I got to chat with Kay a little bit and he said some words that to this day changed my life. It was write a newsletter for 52 weeks in a row and watch it change your life. And I took that to heart, went home the next day, published my first newsletter that Sunday, and here we are two years later. And I can point, I mean, the reason we're on this call, the reason I no longer work at BlackRock, the reason I'm kind of in control of uh, my own situation now, don't have a boss, is all because of that uh, few words of advice from Kay. So first off, thank you. And this is a pretty cool full circle moment to come all the way back around.
1: Oh, man, this is awesome. Thank you, Dickie. Uh, thank you, Cole. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks all of you for taking the time to 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 chill with us today. Uh, I'm honored. What, one thing Dickie's missing about that story was, let's remember January 2020, right? Because <laughs> we all know what happened in February 2020. And so there was like, in this bar, there was like, so much like yelling into people's ears. Like, I think what I said, like, I probably like landed a, a few little spit bubbles in his ear when I was like, start a newsletter would change your life because it was so loud and dark. And so. Uh, so, yeah, that was uh, I, I always remember that, too, because I'm like, oh, my God, that was the last time that was the last meetup I did. I still haven't done one since covid. And so, like that, that day has, in addition to what you shared, which is an incredible um, story and trajectory, that that specific day has 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 a lot of like emotional uh, significance to me.
0: Yeah, and it really started everything. And that was almost before it was kind of cool to write and start a newsletter. Like January twenty twenty was before everyone was stuck inside for the next you know four or five months, where everyone started to kind of get on the internet. So you were ahead of the curve on that front for sure. So why don't we start there with I know your kind of origin was you started a newsletter and you were just sending it to your friends. And from there, you kind of latched onto a few things. Can you talk just a little bit about, uh, spend a few minutes on the origin of Rad Reads and why you started it, where it came from, that kind of thing?
1: Absolutely. So Rad, um, the word Rad is my homage to like 90s skate and surf culture, to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that I grew up watching. Uh, And it's like a little bit of me like thumbing my nose at Wall Street where like I just wanted like when I left, I wanted like all these older, mostly men to have to say the word rad like often. Um, And so I was like, (laughs) okay like that's why I'm going to name my company Rad Reads and we should talk about like naming things. Brad is actually very good alliteration. I didn't know it at the time, uh, but it actually is like uh, a, a good name. Um, and so I worked on Wall Street. I worked on Wall Street for 14 years, 13, 14 years. Uh, I had a third of a life crisis. I kind of looked around and I saw the people that were 10 years older than me. And, and I was having a great career. And I'm like, I don't want that life. You know, and they had, you know, two X fives and they lived in Summit in Chatham, New Jersey, and they commuted and they like took their beer, like, um, like for, you know, at the, their beer at Grand Central or Penn Station. And you know, every night I was just like, it's not a bad life. Like their kids went to great schools. They had amazing vacations. They stayed at Four Seasons and all that good stuff. And I was just like, this is not for me. I would like to opt out of this trajectory. um, But I had no idea what I was going to, I was, a, I mean, I majored in computer science and economics. And I worked in this like very niche part of finance all my life. I never identified as an entrepreneur. I never identified as a writer. I never identified as a creative person. I was just like, I'm the finance guy that's like good at numbers. And so I was like, I need to quit. And we could talk about some of the projects I had going. This was almost seven years ago now. Uh, so it's a long time ago. Like you said, well, you said this is before people Be had newsletters. Think about 2015, right? That was like four years before Substack, right? Um, so, um, so anyway, so I had this, I decided I was going to quit. I took 18 months of savings. And this is very different than the path Dickey and Cole have taken. I'm less familiar with Cole's story. But I took 18 months of saving. I talked to my wife and I was like, can we, can we light this money on fire? And what I mean by that is, can K experiment with things for 18 months? And if it goes to zero, then like our family is okay. We had some savings. That's the good thing about Wall Street. 13 years will give you the ability to light some money on fire. Um, And give us 18 months to try things out. And I knew myself that I didn't want to chill. I didn't want to party. I didn't want to, I wanted to travel just a tiny bit to get it out of my system. But I wanted to do stuff. I wanted to do cool stuff. And so that's where I had this little newsletter. It was 36 people on a Gmail BCC. It was link blogging, you know, eons before Substack existed. And I just started sending, I sent one issue. I can remember the articles. There's an article on Elon Musk. There was an article on like uh, Louis CK being interviewed by Mark Maron. There was an article on first principles thinking, um, was an article on Atul Gawande on like, um, like confronting your mortality, which is I- ironic, like seven years later, a lot of the themes that I still write about. Right. So it was kind of like on brand without even knowing it. And I hit send with a Gmail BCC famous last words at the bottom. I don't know when I'll do this again. I don't know when I'll have the time to do this again people started saying, hey, this is really good. <laughs> do it again. Please do it again. And that started off the journey. So there was that 18 months of experimentation catalyzed by a 36-person B- Gmail BCC newsletter.
0: And so you that was all you had at the time when you stepped away. It was a 36-person newsletter in 18 months of, hey, I'm going to go figure this out. Yes. Which
1: is very different than what you have when you quit. <laughs> and it, so it, I commend
0: it, that. <laughs> it is quite different. And you know, I'm still inspired by that. So can you walk us through a little bit of that 18 months of what you explored and how that led to eventually, because I want to dig into your, your 10K philosophy and some of the things you do, some of your core things that you think about, but what was it about that 18 months for you? What'd you explore?
1: Yeah. So um, the cool thing was that I had the money thing was off the table because like we had put a safe container around what we were w- willing to do. So that was like, I mean, I still have a lot of issues with money as an entrepreneur and cohort-based courses, but that was, um, so that was resolved. And so then it was really, it's going to sound kind of cliched, but it was just like, what makes me happy? Like, I'm going to do things that make me happy. Um, And that involved hanging around people that made me happy. And they were, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of creative folks, uh, a lot of people who you know, there were a lot of people quitting finance back then too. You just, they weren't as vocal as you and I. Um, so, you know, um, hanging around folks who inspired me writing this newsletter and the thing about the newsletter, I never really thought it was going to become a business um, and it's still kind of not the business. Um, but the thing about the newsletter is that it gave me like these little lily pads to jump around, right? So I had this newsletter and I was just writing link, link blogging, summarizing five articles Okay. Then I need a name. It was like, oh, like, how do you come up with a name? Like I I, I read some books and posts about coming up with a name. It's not the easiest process. Right. Then it came up with a name. Then I'm like, oh shoot, I need a landing page. I'm like, oh, but I don't really like a kind of new HTML. It's like, so what makes a good landing page? Like, what's a sign-up flow? Like, where do you put your logo? Then I'm like, oh, I got to put words on this landing page. Like, so I have to think about copywriting. And then like, oh, well, how will people find this landing page? Like on social, on search. And, and so like just these little hops from like one lily pad to another. I don't know what is up with my wiring, but I found it super fun. And what I loved about it was that you had real-time feedback on it. So you could change the headline of your landing page and see if like more people signed up or less people signed up. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like it actually had a lot of similarities to investing. I was just going to say that.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so I, so I started to do all these things and then there was like a few watershed moments. We could talk about them all, but the the first one was, I think my newsletter probably hit like 500 people within a couple, six months, just through word of mouth. Um, And someone reached out to me and said, Kate, you seem to have figured something out. Can you coach me and my management team on happiness? I'm like, huh? (laughs) Like, A, I'm not a coach. B, I I guess I've been happy like since I've been doing this thing. C, I don't know what, how I would do that, how I would charge, what that even looks like. Sure, sign me up. Uh, And so, and then the first thing I said, I remember, I'm like, you know, I've, I've worked with a lot of coaches and that's actually a big part of my journey. Um, and like staying sane. Um, but I, I remember saying to this person, like, I've got a list of really good coaches. They're like, no, we want you. I'm like, Oh, and it's like, yeah, we've seen you. And then this is what it hit me with the newsletter. I'm like, what do you know about me? Like other than I worked on wall street, they, he's like, I've seen your thinking evolve over the last six months. And just from summarizing other people's articles, I didn't even have the courage to write my own blog posts in. So he he gave me a shot and I went in and I'm like, oh, damn, like it was a hedge fund manager. So like I kind of threw a, a kind of high price and he's like, sure. Um, and that was a moment I knew I didn't want to become a coach, but that was a moment where I'm like, oh, I might not have to go back. Right. Because I was like this nagging fear is like, I'm going to screw this thing up and I'm going to have to go back. And so, when someone offered, like, and and to all of you, like, like making that first transaction, getting that first buy, whether it's like a one ninety nine ebook, a thirty dollar coaching session, whatever, a, a consulting session, that is just such a boost of confidence, and you're like, oh, damn. I have something I didn't think I had anything people wanted other outside of finance and I had something. And so that really started to catalyze. So I did like coaching and the newsletter and that kind of blew, like threw the whole 18 months out the window. Cause I wasn't, I mean, depending on the month, but I was kind of covering my living expenses at that point with coaching. And so it kind of made the 18 month thing kind of meaningless as long as I wasn't like trying to like save more money in that, in that specific phase. So that was like the first moment. And that was like the first couple of years.
2: There, there's a couple things I, I just want to double click on here. One is, um, you know, this this idea of someone believing in you early. You said you wrote you wrote your first couple emails and you'd get an email back going, oh, this is so important. You know, I remember I, I started writing online as a teenager and some guy commented on my first gaming blog ever and said, Oh, I'm really looking forward to reading more of your stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I thought I just played Madison square garden, you know, like I, that it just was huge to me. I didn't even know that was an automated message at the time. He was just commenting on that to (laughs) everyone's right. But it like, it gave me that feeling. So I guess I'm just curious too, like, when that happened, why did that impact you so much? And, and did it need to keep happening to motivate you or was it just, it happened once and you were like, I'm off and running.
1: Yeah. It's a great, it's a great question. And it's a great feeling. Like if you could see my arms, like I got goosebumps thinking about, I still keep all the notes people send me. I have something, I'll drop it in called a jar of awesome. Um, and uh anytime someone sends me a nice note, I just like keep it in the jar and then I just go back and read them. So it's been around for That's like so seven smart. years now. It's it's like if you want like happiness and joy on command, like there's no better way <laughs> than than to keep a jar of awesome because you realize that we're just We're just like, you know, our happiness is just this like collection of like little micro moments. It's actually not like catching the huge wave or like getting the first sale or like things like that. Um, So about the human interaction of it. But um, so to to answer your question, I was a, I was like a lot of imposter syndrome. I'm like, what the, like, this guy's like 20 years older than me and this and that. And, you know, I quit this job and I, I wasn't like, I could talk about it confidently now, but like. I wasn't confident that I had made the decision the right decision for like a couple of years. Right? Um and every day it felt slightly less risky. Um but I I was like not sure that I like I walked away from a like a pretty high salary for nothing. Um so that was one thing. Like there was an imposter syndrome. That was the first one. And and by the way, the imposter for those of you who are struggling with imposter syndrome, like who am I to be writing about this? Who who am I to like to like, why should people listen to this? Like it, it goes away, but it doesn't go away. Like you're going, I still feel it before I hit send. I'm like, Oh, you know, and someone will challenge me. They'll be like, you know, for every nice note, there's an occasional like F off. Like who do you think you are to, you know, command expertise on this topic? Um, but to go back to your point, um, Cole, like it, it, it it was awesome. And it, it still is like, You know, much of my career as an entrepreneur is motivated by like, things that bring me joy. Again, that's going to sound like super woo woo, but like, that's the truth. Like, if it doesn't bring me joy, I don't do it. Uh, If it brings me joy, I double down on it. Uh, And that's been a formula that has worked. For me, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm touching wood and the interactions, these micro interactions, like you probably see on my Twitter feed, like I try to, re- like if people say nice things, like I try to respond, like I can't always respond to everything, but I want to like, <clears throat> I want to lift people up. I want to like be the cheerleader. I want to support people. I want to celebrate their wins because people have been doing it for me.
0: Hmm. I think a big lesson from that too is you only needed one person to give you an idea of a monetization opportunity. And instead of thinking, oh, if I need to go create a big plan and all this, you just said yes, and then you figured it out from there, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Versus, and that shows the power. A lot of people think they need this big audience to tell them, hey, I, I need a big audience and then I can sell a product. Really, you need one person to say, I have a problem. Mm-hmm. You solve that problem and then you put your solution on the internet and that's all it takes. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: No, absolutely. And <clears throat> there have been, that's one thing that like, I, I move uh, I'm pretty risk averse. It might not sound it based on my you know career trajectory and the decisions that I've shared so far. But the one thing that I have done extremely well and I've made a lot of mistakes, which we should talk about them, is when something works, I like run as hard as I can and double down and, and I, I ship and I just keep going at it and I keep going at it. Uh, I don't like overanalyze. I I'm, I'm okay. Like to ship faster versus like lessening the quality slightly. Like I'll make that trade-off perfection is the enemy of good enough. Um, and so that is something that has served me really well. And, you know, in all these little experiments that, that kind of landed me closer to, to my main, my main thing now.
2: So a couple, uh, some, ta- <clears throat> some tactical questions I'd love to ask, um, You might be familiar, might not. So, big philosophy of ours is: right on the internet, don't start a blog. Mm -hmm. Right, the newsletter is an interesting. It sits between those two worlds. Mm -hmm. Um, You started with a newsletter, which typically I tell people don't do that because you have no reach. Right, Mm -hmm. so you have the ability to capture emails, but how are you going to reach lots of new readers? So, a if you started with a newsletter, how did you get? Your readers, mm-hmm. and B, when along the journey, like now, where else do you write yeah. to kind of drive people to
1: that? It's a great question, and and um, people always ask me, um, you know, knowing what you know today, if you were to like restart from zero, what would you? Where would you start? And I, I wouldn't start with a newsletter. Um, mm-hmm. I would start. I would start with something that has a built-in viral loop, and so that would be either Twitter youtube or TikTok.
2: Mm-hmm. i
1: would not podcast i would not blog i would maybe I have some strong views on seo i think it's pretty awesome uh but it's a very different philosophy search engine optimization um and blogging instagram i hate instagram so i have no comment on it um so that's kind of that's what i would do differently so um i think times have changed too and, and you you and your community are kind of on the leading edge of that with social, where I would have never, you know, I mean, Dicky tells that story, but it's like it's a flattering and, and nice story. But what he what he forgets to add to that story is like. Where I really made my did all my damage was on Twitter, not with the advice that you gave me. So um yeah. so we so should I, add that to the to the story, you know, what, with a little revisionist
0: history. What's funny is I have taken that advice and kind of churned it. Where now when people ask me the same thing, how do I get started? I don't say write a newsletter for, for 52 weeks. I say write and publish something every day on Twitter for 30 days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it accelerates the feedback loop a little bit because but I needed to go through that, I think, to make that re- realization. Yeah. And so at the time, it was the exact advice. Totally. But and I, needed, same it like it too. I right.
1: needed to see what you guys were doing and to hit some of the plateaus on growth. So I answered the second part of your question, Cole, to be like, oh, OK, I need to like figure out how to acquire new new, new readers. So in the early days, Cole, the, what, there were a few things that worked. One, uh, and they're all anchored by one principle, like I wrote stuff that I knew people would be excited to receive. So like, it was good. Um, It was good. It was thoughtful. You could tell that I put in a lot of effort into it. And so uh, a few things happened from that one, it got forwarded around a lot. So a lot of the growth was uh, just organic word of mouth still to this day. um, There's a pretty, and that organic growth compounds, like as obviously as your audience grows, that was one. The second was, not a strategy by choice uh, or intentional, but it worked out really well is um, because of what I was writing, journalists started following me Uh, and Hmm. journalists, uh, a few of them wrote big pieces about me. So again, it was like nothing I could have predicted at the time. And I've actually tried to recreate that effect now with like, I've failed miserably. But basically, there was like a good story, like senior guy who leaves Wall Street with no plan willing to talk like that's pretty rare in that industry. Like people usually are very tight lipped because they want to keep the hold the option of going back. Not that I would talk shit or anything. Um, sorry if I, if I curse occasionally. Um, so so um, journalists heard of it. Um, I had a good story. And I was adding value to them. So they were reading my email and they were forwarding it amongst themselves as well. And so uh, my story got picked up without any effort on my part by Bloomberg, CNN, uh, and uh, what was the, there was a third big one, uh, Barron's. Uh, And then I got asked to speak at a Wall Street Journal conference. I bet that those four things took my newsletter. They all happened within the span of six months. They took my newsletter from like maybe 2,000 subscribers, organic word of mouth to like 15,000. In six months. So those were the big needle movers. And then there were a bunch, a few podcasts that I got on that really just like accelerated the growth. Like um, the early days of Patrick O'Shaughnessy's podcast, Invest Like the Best. I was on the reboot podcast twice uh, with Jerry Colonna. um, And one like sleeper, he's not super public, but he's a phenomenal writer. His name is Ozan Varol, uh, O Z A N V A R O L. He's not on social. He's kind of like Cal Newport, like not on social at all. Uh, or maybe he's on LinkedIn, um, which doesn't count. Um, but um, he he invited me on his podcast, and I think like I think I had like 800 subscribers after that episode. And this hmm. is a guy with no social, like. Um, so those were a few of the ways that that happened. And then we could talk. We should probably talk about it at some point. Uh, I also learned SEO in the process, search engine optimization, and it's something I really believe in. Um, and search engine, it's like, just like, it's like a, a high paying bond, like every day, just like new subscribers show up in your account. It's like YouTube. Um, but just like, it's YouTube for the web basically, which is so funny to, to describe Mm -hmm. it that way versus like uh, YouTube being Google for Mm -hmm. search. Um, but SEO, I, I, I learned SEO, SEO is a little bit, it's harder to just like build a personal brand through SEO. So a lot of my SEO grew through writing about Notion. And that's still like a lot of our traffic comes from um, writing about Notion, and so that's 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 been the acquisition strategy. And then now, I'm uh, really like trying to use Twitter. I'm trying to emulate what you guys have done. Um, um, I'm good with words. Um, I don't like high production video, high production audio. Like I would, if I was like 20 years old and had all the time in the world and no kids and like a full head of hair, like I would like do YouTube. Um, but I'm 43. I got two kids. Like I'm a sleepy head. Like I just, I don't, I don't have the hustle in me to do. I, I see what it takes. And I don't have the hustle in me to, to do YouTube. Well, all right. So here, go ahead, Cole.
2: I, just I, as a, I don't know, rounding out question. Yeah. Did you do a lot of writing at BlackRock? Because nothing. So nothing. this this is what's interesting. One of the first things I noticed, uh, Dickie, when I met you was your ability to take complex or lots of different ideas and distill them down and explain your thinking. And I thought, okay, this much this must be like uh like a hedge fund sort of thing. You know, you got to explain like, why am I buying this asset versus this asset and your ability to distill? The reason I ask is because it is very rare that someone who has a completely different career for 13 years just goes, I'm just going to start writing. And just, you know, all of a sudden attracts all these people. So I'm curious, like, how you were maybe training that muscle mm. before you got started.
1: That's a that's a that's a really great question and an astute observation. Um, there are a few ways in high again, all of this, please take everything I'm saying, like it, it seems so clear now, but while it was happening, I had no idea what was, what was hindsight, going right? Yeah. So like, please take everything I'm saying with like, there's probably a lot of revisionist history um, as I'm describing it, but here are, here are a few thre- uh, threads that relate to that. One was I love being a manager. I'm one of those rare people in corporate America that like loved managing teams. Mm. I love one-on-ones. I love writing up people's performance (laughs) reviews. I love investing in my people. I've always liked that. Um, maybe like my mom, my sister and my grandmother are all teachers. Um, so there's this vein of like, um, mentoring and teaching. Like I used to, if you worked on my team, I used to, uh, highly recommend that you read David Allen's GTD. And then I would sit with you to make sure you actually understood the concepts. So if you think about what I write on the internet, it's not that different than what I just described. It just mm-hmm. wasn't in the medium of writing. Right. And then I would say the last thing uh, is, and my wife, if she were here would disagree with me um, is that I'm pretty um, empathetic. And I, like, I just love to observe the world around me um, and just take notes. I'm like, oh, this is so weird that, you know, like, like I made a note that like to look up what's on your sweatshirt, because I've never seen that before. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like, and I might just Google that when I like when we get off the call, like what mm-hmm. is think, you know? Um, So I think just like observing the world and being curious about it. And I think that's there's those are a few of the things that you do see in finance, like if you're a good investor, you're kind of like looking at all these pieces and trying to see like how they all fit together. Mm -hmm. Um, You're always looking at how other people act, like how they make decisions, like from like a risk management perspective. Uh, And then there's like the management piece of like, like teaching juniors, you know, how to do something really complex, uh, but it wasn't through the medium of writing.
2: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because one of the things I notice is So, so many people go, I want to be a writer or I want to, I want to start writing. And the hardest lesson is that it's really not about the writing. It's about the thinking. Mm -hmm. So that's why, that's where my question comes from is like, it seems like you had already done a lot of the thinking and you distilled it over years. Right. And then all of a sudden you go, okay, now I'm just going to share the thinking, Mm -hmm. which is way easier than I haven't thought about this thing yet, but mm-hmm. I think I can assemble adjectives in a really great order. Mm-hmm. Right. The two are not the same. So yeah. I think that's, that's fascinating.
1: Yeah. And I think there's two just like observing great writers. Obs- just they observe like the mundane details of the world. Um, and they find them super interesting, you know, like, like your sweatshirt. Like I'm just like super fascinated by your sweatshirt. Cause I think it looks cool and it's different from what, from what i normally see in sweatshirts
2: it's it's think different it's the apple thing yeah oh you go. see because yeah.
1: i think there was a skate brand from the 80s ni- from the 90s called Think skateboard so i'm like oh maybe it's like mm. retro skateboard um sweatshirt um but uh but again it's like it's such an insignificant detail but it actually isn't right i could write three essays off the the conversation that we just had about your sweatshirt mm-hmm Right.
2: If you can synthesize and extract some sort of meaningful exactly. takeaway or right. lesson.
1: Curiosity, yeah. right? Like curiosity would be an obvious one, right? Um,
0: yeah. So anyway. I say <laughs> writing is 95% blocking the internet and noticing your surroundings.
1: Mm-hmm. You can
0: do those two things. You can pretty much write forever. Um, so that's a great example. All right, let's talk Notion, 10K mm-hmm. work, how you kind of stumbled into going from the newsletter to coaching to now your flagship course writing about notion pointing yeah. the term 10k work and i'll give you kind of my interpretation of the ideas that you share are you found your own unique combination of i use notion to almost create a lens through which to view my ideas but then i also have this philosophical side of all my lessons learned from working at blackrock working on wall street chasing happiness, finding happiness, all that. And you've been able to combine them in a very unique way. And I think that's what resonates with people. So where did notion and your relationship with that start? and How did you kind of weave in 10 K work into what is now your, your flagship product?
1: Yeah, Uh, it's, it's, um, a lot of luck and a lot of like spaghetti thrown against a wall, like walls full of spaghetti. Um, so, uh, let me just, let's, let's, let's break down the timeline just so people can kind of re- like see what happens. So I'm doing coaching probably for, I've been out for five, for seven years. So I'm doing some like mix of coaching and writing for probably like the first four. Right. And that's kind of keeping me afloat. It's growing my audience. Actually, again, it's a very different story than Dickie uh, and Cole's story where like he quit and, you know, he had already built this product that people really dug. So, um, <clears throat> so four years of like three or four years of coaching. Uh, And I've always been like a productivity nerd, systems design, lifestyle design. Uh, And I think that where I was really starting to find my voice as a writer were around these like philosophical questions. So the the informal motto, so the mission of RadReads is to help people live more um, productive, examined and joyful lives. And the informal motto is come for the productivity, stay for the existential. And one thing that I realized was that whether you're talking about online businesses, whether you're talking about how many books you want to read, whether you're talking about, you know, financial independence, retire early, whether you're talking about notion, you're actually talking about a deeper human desire or a deeper human insecurity. Right. And maybe they're actually both the same side, two sides of the same coin. And I was starting to really, Figure this out in my writing. And for those of you who have followed my writing for a while, there's always just like, why do you want this thing? Why do you do this thing? Like, why are you tricking yourself? You know, what is the source of your desire? What is the source of your hurt? What is the source of your pain? But in a way that like brings in, like, I don't know, if you take um Encanto, right? The the sister, the really strong one that bears the burden of the world on, on her shoulders, right? There's there's a hundred stories to write off that character. Right. So you could say, like, why is it so hard to carry the world's burdens on your shoulders? Or you could say, like, did you relate to that part in uh, in the Luisa song where she says, like, uh, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Right. That that was a skill that I was like acquiring and I found so joyful. Right. So people like I want to be more productive. I want more time. Like, why do you want more time? They're like, um, I want to spend more time with my kids. They're like, what's stopping you now? Right. And so there are these questions beyond that, right? I, people always ask me, what's the best productivity book to read? I say the denial of death, right? Our quest for more time to extract more, more minutes out of the day is rooted in a secularist. That's me. Um, like fear that once this is done, this, this shit's done. Right. I got nothing to grasp to other than GTD and notion. Right. Um, so that I started to realize that there was something happening there again, through like what Cole had mentioned earlier, people would just reply. They're like, "Yo, this, this shit slaps like this, this like really hit hard what you just wrote. Right. I asked things like, would you be a better parent if you were less ambitious? Right. That's something a lot of parents can relate to the trade off between ambition, personal ambition, ego. Right. We all have egos and the need to provide and to need to set a role model for our kids. So, anyway, I started to realize that these threads were coalescing in my writing. And this is like, this is why it took me so long. Like, I don't think you can discover that overnight. It it took me Mm -hmm. years to realize that. But I also had something that was more tangible that people were interested in. And that was like, notion and gtd and productivity systems and i could write about superhuman and text expanders and alfred and zapier and all that stuff until like i could i could hang with the best writers in productivity on in the world um and i could do that and so i was like well how do i take the thing like that's the candy like people want the candy like the productivity like the 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 philosophy is is the broccoli like they know they want it but no one wants to eat it so you've got to like wrap the broccoli with chocolate Right, and I was figuring out how to like produce broccoli wrapped, uh, chocolate wrapped broccoli, and people were like, "Damn, this shit tastes so good!" Um, so, uh, so that's what I had figured out. Then came Notion. Notion comes along as an app. Like, I mean, it's already been around for five years, but I discovered it three or three and a half years ago. I'm like, "This is just cool!" Like, as a productivity nerd and as a systems thinker, I'm like, "Whoa!" Like, I've been waiting for this app for years. Like I used OmniFocus for a long time. I'm like a GTD acolyte, but I saw someone, I don't really, I've, we've modified GTD to work for today, but I, I was just like, this is so cool. And guess what was happening? There was a rocket ship called Notion. right? <laughs> and so I just started making loom videos on Notion and posting them on Twitter. Right. Cause I'm not going to do the high production YouTube stuff. It actually lends itself really well to screen sharing, right? Because you're just like, watch me click this and this and this and this. And then Luma actually came out at the same time, too. Like all these stars aligned at the same time. And Notion was this rocket ship. And again, from timing and showing up, I became one of the world's experts on Notion, which, by the way, has like, I don't know, like 25 million users now. Mm -hmm. It's a ridiculous number. So then people came to me and they said, hey, we see you do all this stuff on Loom and you write about it in your newsletter. We can't do, we can't figure it out. Like, I don't know, for those of you who are not super tech savvy, if you open Notion, it's literally just like a blank cursor. And then you have people that are like recreating like the entire Pokemon universe, so like with linked databases. And like, it's just a blank cursor, help. And that's where my friend Tiago, uh, Tiago Forte from Building a Second Brain, he was just like, he, he, uh, whole, this whole time he was just like, okay, launch a course, launch a course, launch a course. And I didn't want to launch a course on like chocolate covered broccoli because like, that's a hard thing to get people to buy mm-hmm. even with like a heavy dose of chocolate on the wrapper. Um, and so, but notion you're like, I will teach you how to be the best in the world in notion. People wanted to buy that. And so I fired up a class together. It was 500 bucks. I think 19 people signed up. They were like my, my super users. They've been waiting so long to buy something from me, right? I hadn't asked them for money in five, four years. And I'd been delivering value every single week. I think I took like total 17 weeks off in four years. Um, and so I gave them the Notion course and they loved it. And I did it again and I did it again. We should talk about copywriting, fell into that formula. Uh, and then something happened where they're like, okay, Kay, this is the journey of productivity. Notion is cool, but it's not like solving these existent, these bigger questions. I have, it's not helping me quit my job. It's not helping me complete projects that I started. It's not helping me avoid procrastination. It's not helping me be more creative. Like it's just like a cool system. And so then I had the confidence because I'd done it enough times and my voice was really starting to come out In teaching, I had the confidence to like flip it and be like, this is a course on lifestyle design on how to live a more productive, examined and joyful life. And we use Notion to implement our system. Mm -hmm. And that's that's when the course took off. You can like learn Notion courses are a commodity now. They're like 99 bucks. There's nothing, there's like a hundred people offering them. So it's a total, it should be free. Um, so thankfully we made that pivot um, and it, it, it leaned into something that is like 10 times more exciting for me to talk about, right? The chocolate covered broccoli. Um, and so I'll stop there. I didn't even answer the 10K work question, but I think that that's like a very important framing, which was like, I think this is what you shall, if you're looking to sell a sell a course or sell a pr- info product. Like it's much easier to sell people a skill. And then as you get better, then you can sell them a personal transformation. Right. I was, I was actually
2: going to say to mirror this back, like what what I'm hearing is um, your product is the tangible thing. What do I get? Mm-hmm. Right. Here's 10 notion templates. What do I get? Here's how to use this platform, right? But the engagement and the latter is the intangible. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think about it? You know, and what questions are you asking me? And it's it's more of a deeper relationship. Where I notice people fail is they have it flipped.
1: Mm-hmm. They
2: try and sell the product that's like the intangible.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm yep. going to help
2: you be happy. Yep. Right. It's you can't wrap your hands around it. What am I, what is it? What am I getting? Right, Mm -hmm. and so it's really helpful to start with the tangible and then move up into the intangible. That's where the engagement and the relationship comes from. But if you start there, people don't know. Well, what are you giving me?
1: That's that's a that's a really really good point. And to further that, there's another saying: is like people tend to um, people tend to buy painkillers over vitamins, Mm -hmm. right? So they'll buy things that will eliminate pain, versus a better, people actually don't buy a better version of themselves as, as often as you think. Mm -hmm. And that's more of like a writing and marketing tactic to, to observe. Um, but, um, but absolutely. And, and to be honest, like I just, I needed the confidence, right? Like who was I to be like, I'm going to teach you how to live your life. Right. I'm like, no, I'm going to teach you how to use a productivity app that I know Mm -hmm. better than most people in the world. And that was a great starting point. I couldn't have made that leap. Without the years of writing, which was like the crystallization of the thought thinking, and then the gateway product that was just like there's a very clear exchange of value. Don't, don't, don't come for this nebulous concept of happiness or fulfillment or whatever. And then kind of bleed those other concepts in over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Alex from Mosey has a great one. It's sell people what they want to give them what they need. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So they're not going to know that what they really need is to ask the five big questions of why they want more time. What they want is more time. So sell them that that's what you're going to give them, but Mm -hmm. then give them what they need uh, in the long term in the product. So, okay. So from there, right. Let's talk about the Rad Reads business, 10 K, that kind of thing. You started to talk about copywriting a little bit. Why don't you walk us through right now, how you think about, the role kind of your newsletter and Twitter and your overall, we talk about kind of a creator funnel, right? Which is yeah. you're creating a lot of content. You are, you have different offerings. You, you share valuable stuff, but there's obviously people who want to throw money at you because they love what you, what you're doing, what you're saying. So how do you think about right now, the different kind of yeah. acquisition of, of a customer? And then we can go from there on like, I know you've probably run what seven or eight cohorts by now and are starting to scale the team. And I'd love to talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah. Um, so we've run, we're getting ready to launch our 10th cohort, uh, in May, May 3rd. So for those of you who want to lead a more productive, joyful and examined life, like, um, it's an amazing, amazing, amazing course. Uh, so, um, so that's our core business is that course. We run it three times a year. Um, and, it's like 80% of our revenue. Um, And then the other uh, business that's new and it's probably not worth talking about on this call, but we started a consulting business because uh, for two reasons. One is people took the course and they were like, can you teach? It's more like workshops, corporate workshops. They're like, can you teach this to my boss? (laughs) Um, And then we wanted to diversify the revenue streams and the launch, as y'all know, the launch boom bust cycle is... Not for the faint hearted. Like we make three, we make 180% of our revenue in three weeks each year. And we have a team of six. So like it's, it's takes some, uh, it's not, it's not easy. Um, So, so those are our products and our acquisition. I I wish we had a clearer acquisition strategy. Um, Our goal is to add 75 uh, email subscribers a day. Um, And we failed that goal. I think we hit like 60. We just did our quarterly OKRs. I think we hit like 60, 68 or something. Uh, And so here's how we think about the funnel. Um, Their SEO is about 45 leads a day. Um, one YouTube video brings in about five leads a day. All right. We have this like massive GTD video that has like 200,000 views. It's just like a zoom call like this. Um, so SEO and YouTube, but these are more Notion specific, um, uh, queries. Um, so that's, that's like the chunk, the, the main chunk of regular subs. Um, we, I try to do one event a week. So these events bring in uh, a lot of new subscribers. Uh, yesterday we did one with on deck where I presented the 10 K framework. And it, that just from that event, it brought in like 75 new subscribers in addition to the 45 that we just get through SEO. Um, so we do events about one or two, one half to two events a week. And I love events like for those of you who can tell I like talking. Um, <clears throat> I, I I no prep required. Like just you know show up for an hour. Um, so events, and then we do email partnerships, email swaps. So we swap um, our placement for our newsletter into someone else's newsletter, and we try to do two of those a month. And those, depending on the size of the audience, sometimes they can get like 200 new subscribers, and sometimes they get like five. Um, so we've got to like <clears throat> be a little strategic uh, about that. Um, I try to go on people's podcasts. It's a little bit harder to measure um, the impact of that, but we're we're trying to do some more kind of analytics around that, but it it hasn't, I haven't gotten on any big podcasts, so it hasn't really been a meaningful part of the strategy. Um, There's word of mouth, which is still, I can't break down exactly of that 45 what's word of mouth and what's SEO. Um, And so that's kind of like our core, but it's hard to grow beyond that. Right. I mean, it takes a lot of work. And so, there's a, a, a we call them 10K questions, but there's a 10K question that we ask ourselves as a company is how can we grow Radreads without Kay's involvement, right? So that immediately knocks off YouTube, right? Because I, I it would just need so much of my time and my face and all of that. But Twitter, I, I don't I don't go strike my threads yet, but I might down the road. Um, um, newsletter blogging, newsletter blogging, SEO, that can all be ghost
2: mm-hmm
1: right? And so we're starting to explore, like how can K step into a more editorial role and like be like, this is the piece that I wanna see. This is how I understand it's gonna work and travel and then have someone else write it, right? So that's kind of part of our strategy. We're just really refining our SEO strategy to like basically plant like the 10K framework like on the edges of like the Eisenhower matrix and the edges of the, of GTD and the edges of the Ivy Lee method and the edges of goal setting and prioritization. And kind of like, we have decent domain ranking. So, um, so we could do that, but it's probably, it's going to be like a long, SEO is a long, long slog, but then once it, once it works, it's like compound interest. Like it's just like every day, boom, boom. It's like a cash machine every single day. It delivers a new lead and it doesn't require a ton of maintenance. So we're gonna lean a little bit heavier into SEO. I'm gonna play around with Twitter. I'm having a lot of fun with Twitter. um, Thanks to like following what you guys have done. Uh, It's been pretty effective. I I had um, just following what you've done. uh, I started. I decided to get active on Twitter on uh, February 21st and I had um, 17,000 subs. Um, And this morning uh, we like crossed 21,000. And so I'm trying to do like, Um, I follow the, I have all these text threads from Dickies, like do this, do this, learn how to make sure you nail your hook. I like put them all in like a little notebook and I just like (laughs) schedule these, these tweets. And I think about them It's part of, it's part of the strategy. Like any of this, whether it's SEO, email newsletter, blogging, Twitter, what I've learned is just like have a strategy, do it consistently. Don't like willy nilly it. Like when you feel like writing it, sit down and treat it like you would treat a meeting, like you would treat a one-on-one and then just like like iterate learn and and observe so does that answer the question on acquisition and it's
0: so yes exactly and the overall goal is to get newsletter subscribers for the most part they're opting in via your notion pages or gtd pages they're probably sent some kind of lead magnet and then are they dripped into your regular saturday newsletter that you send to everyone or what's it look like
1: so we have two onboarding sequences they're not the best so we're um Um, we're, we're fixing them, but one of them is kind of a more like, um, here's how to hit your goals, like work, like email workshop. It's like three emails a a week for, I think four weeks. It's they're really detailed emails. They basically like took our best blog posts and like we turned them into emails. We've got this like legacy notion drip thing where you kind of like learn notion in like, like 10 days, um, the engagement rate on both of them is through the roof. It's like 65% open rates um like towards the end of the sequence uh and then we drip them into the saturday newsletter once they've gone through both of those we are q2 one of our big uh uh initiatives is to like tear those they're 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 quite old and we've learned so much since to tear those down add make them like better design like have a true story like when we wrote these we didn't really know what the product we were trying to like nudge people towards was And now we have a clear vision of what that product is. So we're going to like plant seeds, like with the language, with the framework, you know, with interviews that we might have with other people. So we're kind of like rewriting those from scratch. Um, I, one thing I'm really focused on, so that we talked about the top of the funnel. uh, But the thing that I'm really focused on now is like the middle of the funnel, which is, okay, we got you in, but like, what's the likelihood that you'll become a student? And that's a tricky tricky question I haven't. Right. Cause you've got to like measure purchase intent. You've got to measure engagement. You've got to measure, um, like just general interest and in the things like that you write about, like, for example, if I write a lot of, if people click on a lot of my financial rated related essays, like that doesn't like, t- it's not overlapping with the content of the course. So there's all these kind of analytics that I don't know how to do. I'm not from this world. And it's actually, I think we've really benefited from having a beginner's mindset where people like do this little thing on SEO. And I'm like, I don't think that's the little thing that, I think it really helps us see like the big picture of what we're trying to accomplish with all of these like tactics, but we're also really good at getting uh, into the weeds. Um, And then the last thing I'll say, um, we should talk about copywriting if we have time, uh, is that I've made the commitment to grow a team. And so we have uh, four, we have like a team of seven, four full-time-ish employees. Um, I have almost a day of one-on-ones every day, every week. Now, um, you know, we're fully asynchronous. We have like very, very detailed ways of working. We don't send each other emails internally. I think I get like 17 Slack messages a day. So like we, we're completely async and I I was actually writing our quarterly roundup. That's just the kind of stuff you have to do when you have a team, like actually like write a quarterly roundup, but I was saying that, um, to use hedge fund terms, our organizational design is our alpha. So the way we work as a team is one of our competitive advantages. That's actually very hard to replicate. That's a whole separate conversation on the business. That, that Yeah. I
0: I think we'll have to have you back to talk <laughs> on that stuff because the, I definitely have some questions. So let, let's talk copywriting. Yeah. Talk about, you know, so it's funny to me is when I stepped away um, from finance, it's, I was learning copywriting throughout my entire, you know, two or three years there. And The number one thing it did for me was people read every single email that I sent because I knew how to write an email subject line, how to write very concisely. And I developed this lens of if you sent me an email with an unclear subject line, like quick thoughts and opened with a wall of text, I immediately archived it. It was just gone. Right. And that was probably you know a reason by the end that I was ready to get out of there because mm-hmm. that's about 90 percent of, of what consent is. I'm sure you remember. So what role is copywriting played for you? How, how do you think about it in your everyday? You know, I'd love to hear you. Yeah, because I have a lot of thoughts.
1: I um, so like you said in that in, in your tweet, like I knew nothing about I, I'm not from this world like. I know nothing about marketing and funnels and copywriting and SEO. Like I just learned it. Like, you know, the lily pad, like just like another time to jump on the copywriting lily pad and figure this shit out today. Um, So that was um, so I knew nothing about copywriting. But here's like something super like I think it was after our third cohort. I think the third cohort did like 25 grand or something like that. Um, and between the third and the fourth cohort, I was like, okay, I need to learn how to sell this thing. Cause I was just like listing a bunch of features. I'm like, you will learn how to do formulas. Like you will learn how to do this. Um, and some, you know, some other entrepreneurs had planted the seeds of copywriting. So I basically like took it as copywriting intensive with, um, Billy Bross. Um, you might know him B-R-O-A-S. Uh, and my mind was blown because uh, he, he has an approach where he teaches you the like direct mail type stuff like write headlines out by hand um, he doesn't write it for you he doesn't edit for you like he barely reviews what you know like he just kind of like he makes you do it um, and I think a lot of people go into copywriting courses thinking that like someone's going to do it for them. And like, it just doesn't work that way. It's so nuanced. So I took this course, this intensive, it was pretty pricey. Uh, and then after I'm like, I need to, I need more of this. And I hired him one-on-one. So it was like the single biggest financial investment that I've made in the business other than full-time employees. Um, cause he's not cheap. And, um, uh, for the, the third, from the third to fourth cohort, it tripled in revenue. Nothing else had changed. It went from 25K to 75K. And I'm like, oh my God, like this. And I had some very strict rules for myself around copywriting. Uh, And the biggest one was like, I didn't want to write copy that made people feel shitty about themselves. Like I would poke the bear here and there uh, and be like, you know, it's kind of funny that you say you want to do this, but you really like, if we looked at your screen time hours, like you're really doing this, like I'll poke the bear here and there. But I didn't want to be like, your life suck, your life suck, your life suck, your life suck, your life suck by my course. Like, um, that was not the philosophy. And a lot of like, read some sales pages out there. There's a lot of that out there. And I did not, I had like repulsed by that. Um, So, anyway, the thing about copywriting was that um, it's a little bit like, 10 K work, which is funny enough. We haven't talked about, um, it's a little bit like the rule of thirds. If you're a photographer, it's just like one of these things, like once you see it done well, you cannot unsee it. And so if you just understand the first principles of it, you're just going to see it everywhere on the back of a bus, airports are like copywriting. I have so much fun in airports because I learned more about SAS copywriting. Um, than like in any other place in the world, right? Is an airport, like those ads, right? I always say there's an HSBC ad and there's like a, a, like a little boy in a developing country like with a dove flying out of it. And it's like, make your dreams soar. I'm like, it's a fucking bank. Like, um, you are like make your dreams soar. I'm like, what, are, what the hell are you talking about? You're a bank. I'm like, but that ad is good. Then you layer in the photography, like, whoa, like there's like something resonated in me. Um, and you start to like really see that everywhere. You see it on Twitter, right? Like you see who gets it. Um, and so I learned the, the principles of it and I just practiced the crap out of it. Like it's the good thing about the internet. Like you can literally practice, you can get so many shots on goal copywriting. Like you could get like 50 a day. The only limitation is your time. Mm-hmm. And so there were just all these opportunities for shots on goal. It could be a single tweet right? the uh, Email subject line is the perfect, perfect uh, test, test bed for copywriting. Cause you see the open rate, right? What's the point of writing a really great email if no one opens it, right? I, it still blows my mind. And, and I used to do this too. It'd be like rad reads 233. I'm like, why would I, why would I click that? That sounds so corporate, so uninteresting. And it doesn't mm-hmm. tell me what's in it for me, the reader, right? right? This week's rad reads is going to be um How many business books would you read parentheses if you had a year to live?
2: Whether there's you care about that topic or not,: Yeah, there's some urgency. That's great.
1: <laughs> so uh so yeah, and and it's fun. I mean, I think again, a lot of these things, I feel super blessed that I find SEO and copywriting fun, but I find YouTube not fun, so I just don't do it, right? I find. Um, I find Facebook paid ads, like hell on earth. Like I'm not, I haven't logged into Facebook in three years. Like, why would I do Facebook ads? Like maybe at some point I'll have to do it. But a lot of this is, you know, especially if you're in this kind of, you've de-risked yourself, like, like Dickie has, um, where you're doing this, like you still have the cover of a full-time job in healthcare. And if you're living in the U S like that's, um, you know, that's something, um, Like do these experiments, like take these shots on goal. Like they're there, they are free. They didn't exist before the internet, right? How could you practice copywriting before the internet? You would have to write letters to people or buy ads in the New York times. That's it. Think about how lucky you are now that you could just, you could, my challenge to each of you is to do three copywriting tests today. Right? Three copyright, you all have Twitter. I know that because you're part of this community. Three copywriting tests today. That's my challenge. Tag me in it if you want, and I'll give you a review on, on um, what you could improve. The biggest takeaway with
0: copywriting for me is it teaches you how to communicate value. And that's all you're doing all, all the time. I loved your response. So I wrote a thread of how I learned copywriting. And it was, <clears throat> you realize life is sales, right? You're either selling your product to customers, you're selling your product vision to employees, or you're selling your company vision to an investor. And then you said, or you're selling your your yourself in your Hinge bio. And I thought that was hilarious. And that's true as well. Like you, all you're doing, people think copywriting is, oh, it's only for sales pages, but it's for text messages, emails, every single thing you do, wherever you're putting the written word out there, you're just learning to communicate concisely. And so I think it's a skill that I, I personally have the view it's the most valuable personal skill you can learn, because if you can write copy, there's, n- you can make six figures doing anything.
1: Yeah. Totally. You're just
0: a walking minimum six figures. And then from there,
1: it's however you wanna apply it to, to really start to scale it. And then it gets fun. Like we had um, our, most, um, our most popular series when we sell our course has a 50% open rate. This is sent to 33,000 people. It's purely marketing. I'm not it's unabashed marketing. But what we did was we took this very common copywriting framework, which is called the Tale of Two Men, which mm-hmm. basically contrasts that one. two people that do, they're like the same, but they do one different thing. And then their lives are completely different. It's a very old copywriting framework from the Wall Street Journal. Wall if Street Journal, someone... I'm going to
2: try and find it. Yeah, it's there. If the you just chat. do
1: Tale of Two Men, swipe, um, it's there. It's like the top result. Um, WSJ. Um, so these two characters—they like they were like college roommates or something—and it's just a formula, right? Then the formula is two people start at the same place, one of them does something differently, and ends up in a completely different place. Mm-hmm. It's a very simple formula. Uh, it's very hard to execute on, um, but again, once you see that formula, you actually start to see it in a lot of different places. It's actually a very common. Um, common tactic. Like you might actually even see it in like Tom and Jerry or like, you know, you have this like juxtaposition uh, rich, of like rich good dad, and bad. Poor dad. Rich dad, poor dad, right? Great example. You see it everywhere. You just understand that one framework. Now, it took me two years to figure out how to incorporate that framework into our marketing. But when we figured it out, it's like, it's almost going to like open up a new product line for us uh, or a new source. Like um, we basically, we had like $10 Tim and 10K Tina. So we juxtaposed like these two productivity nerds against each other with a lot of alliterations, map them into our framework. And the thing is just hilarious. It's just so funny. I'll try to find one because I don't share them because they're not blog posts, they're emails. Um, And each one takes about 10 hours. So they are like mini chapters of books, Mm -hmm. but they are so, and I'm like giggling while I'm writing them because I'm taking these two characters and bouncing them off of each other and uh it's just freaking hilarious i think
0: I, I was gonna say it's 10k tim and 10 dollars t- or 10 10 tim and 10k
1: tina because exactly. i read them and remember them resonating so <laughs> that just to the point that you can make like i i hope that that you're hearing that this is not some like you know you hear copywriting and marketing you hear this like these like manipulative like dark arts and like messing with people's brains and like being an evil person, I'm like, yo! Know, I wrote you a marketing email and you didn't get it. And you emailed me making sure that you were still on the distribution list for the marketing email, right? Mm-hmm. You can make it fun. You can make it yours. You can make it like people want to read it. And by the way, you're still selling, right? Like, so I, I that was like a big block for me to get over that like marketing equals bad right
2: yeah the a great a great the way i like framing this for people is that sales copywriting is just telling the truth you're not selling anyone right if i go to uk and i go hey let's be honest right you're not being productive because you're actually you actually have this fear right that's not you like pulling some psychological trick you're just being honest you're just telling the truth so i think it's really helpful for people to remember that yeah it's not like oh if you use this adjective everyone buys your course all of a sudden it's like no you just you have to tell the truth and tell the Mm -hmm. truth in a way where the person goes wow like you ever tweet something and a bunch of people comment and go i feel really seen right now i feel Mm -hmm. uncomfortably seen Mm -hmm. right that's what copywriting is totally this is awesome Kay. you've got I, i i love hearing your story and i love uh I'm glad another, we, we saved another person from wall street.
0: We did
1: it. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you all. I'm good. If you want to take one or two, I'm good on time. I I defer to, to y'all as the host.
0: Sure. Let's take a couple questions and then, and then we'll get out of here. Um, Oscar asks, Mm. do you have any good book recommendations for
1: copywriting aside
0: from practice? Mm.
1: You know, I didn't really, um, I didn't, I read one, I I got coached. So um, I, I don't really read a lot of nonfiction books. Um, so the one that I tried to read that was like, okay, was um, Dan Kennedy's The Ultimate Sales Letter. Mm-hmm. Um, I have uh, seen breakthrough advertising, but it was a little bit too um, dry for me, honestly. Uh, and I'm, I'm not lying. It's like when I want to practice copywriting, I do advanced Twitter search on Dickie's Timeline and I just like observe what he's done. And I shared that tweet thread where I like decomp- tr- deconstructed like five of his formulas um, of like his Twitter formulas. Um, and that, that's like, that's how I learned is just like, like I find like a good formula, like copywriting, this cool thing about it is for a left brain person, it's very analytical. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of formula, like very clear formulas on how, what works, like a Tale of Two Men, which is a bit more nuanced, uh, but it's still formula. Um, <clears throat> so I, <clears throat> I'll just go and um, and player like look at what other people have done. But um, the ultimate sales um, ultimate sales letter was like kind of how I think Dicky would be a better person to answer this question.
0: Yeah, I actually wrote this the other day. I, I think we're <clears throat> born letters and writing that works and. Um the ad week copy yeah, ad week copywriting handbook. Those three, they're my three go-to's. And then the fourth is stop reading books and start writing copy. Mm-hmm. Um, because once at that point you could read 20 of them and kind of pretend that you're doing it. But go take three legendary sales letters, write them out by hand, and do that every day for a month, and you'll be a good copywriter. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Because once you see it and feel what works from there, it's very easy. Yeah, like Like you said, I mean, I think the easiest way to learn is actually just to write on Twitter because you have baked in constraints, you have 280 characters, you're competing for attention, and it's all text, right? So you can't, you're going to have to learn and you're going to very quickly learn whether this block of text, oh, that had no one read it. Okay, I probably shouldn't do that. But when I do one line, three bullets, one line everyone reads it. So mm-hmm. there's something right there.
1: It becomes a little bit of a game. So that is my, my copywriting advice. I give you one, one, one super quick story. Uh, a friend of mine had a design course and he sent me a test headline and the headline was um, remixing your ideas. He's like, what do you think? I'm like, dude, you want my honest opinion? It's terrible. Uh, and I gave him uh, and I, I, we were just like over text going through some ideas And it was a class on illustration. And and I said, um, how about this? Learn how to draw parentheses. I like the parentheses at the end um, so that you don't have all the same unsplash pictures as everyone else. He was like, it was the most open email he's ever sent. Mm -hmm. Think about the difference. Remix your ideas or remix your drawing. Like, what does that even mean?
2: It's clever versus clear. Yeah. Yeah. You can't be clever. Period.
0: Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's it. We got a lot. We got through a lot. This was really great. K.K., where can we send the people? Where can they find you? Yeah. Where um,
1: so yeah, drop in. Uh I'll drop in this template if you want to use like uh let me see. And
0: the we're gonna template that we have people listening to- on Spotify
1: too. <clears throat> um so yeah radreads.co slash solopreneur is like a template that we use to like manage all of our ideas and workflows um if you just head over to twitter follow me on twitter um you just do twitter k-h-e-h-y is probably the fastest way to find me um because my, my handle is too long as my first full full first name uh and then just radreads.co and most importantly come say hi on twitter like uh, i know that there were a lot of questions that i didn't answer um i I was i was i was half joking about linkedin i think um i think linkedin's a very powerful medium um i just the corporate side of me just can't go there um but uh yeah i'm just honored i've learned so much from um from this community from dickie and from cole and it's just it's just cool man i just things like this remind me why i love the internet like this is just awesome Mm -hmm. well thanks for being here and and again thanks for
0: that legendary advice you gave me back two years ago we are on this call so pretty cool full circle moment really appreciate it and uh we'll send people over to rad reads uh if they want to learn more